about ecological collapse, issues with the oceans, political non-solutions. All right, two articles I want to cite. One uh, is an opinion piece by Brett Baker to the B from the August 1st uh, Sunday opinion section. An article in the San Francisco Chronicle from August 15th about uh, retired Delta defender Alex Hildebrand, age 96. I think I'll start with the piece by uh, Mr. Baker. He notes that he represents the sixth generation of a family farming on Sutter Island, down in the Delta. Said he, my business is farming, but my education is in biology. I earned a degree in wildlife, fish, and conservation biology from the University of California, Davis, and spent summers working for my professor, Peter Moyle. I went on to the California Department of Fish and Game in the agency's Heritage Wild Trout Program as, and as advisor to then-Lieutenant Governor John Garamendi on water and agricultural issues. As a result, my perspective on Delta water controversies is perhaps more nuanced than many. He goes on, The Delta fisheries are in immediate and dire jeopardy. This affects more than fish. It's also devastating the families and small towns that depend on commercial and sport fishing. For years, Westside corporate farmers have claimed water exports are not the primary cause of the Delta's ecological collapse. They have made the disingenuous argument that fish don't need more water. Instead, they blame the decline on invasive species, urban runoff, agricultural chemicals, and inadequate sewage treatment, anything that might divert attention from the impact the pumps continue to have on the system. I agree that all these factors play a role in the Delta's struggling ecosystem, but they are all tied to overpumping, which either causes them or makes them worse. Export pumping is by far the biggest problem. This point was made explicitly in a recent staff report from the California Water Resources Control Board, which concluded water exports must be cut in half to allow sufficient freshwater flows necessary for the survival of these critically endangered species. It's really that simple. If we want to resuscitate our once mighty salmon runs, we have to allow twice as much water as is currently flowing through the Delta. He goes on, In my opinion, these flows should be observed as part of the Delta Stewardship Council's interim Delta plan. Here's what I think is the punchline. He goes on, Corporate farmers in the western San Joaquin Valley are pillorying the Water Board's report, and this is understandable. They are obtaining taxpayer-subsidized water at incredibly low rates, and they are selling much of it to South State cities at enormously inflated prices. They understand their future is in marketing water and building homes, not growing crops. Their interests are not the interests of the people of California, including most farmers. Well said, Mr. Brett Baker. We need to bring you on this show. If you're dumb enough to believe that this new peripheral canal is going to improve the, uh, the conditions for fish in the Delta by taking more water out of the Delta, you're a dumbass. 
this might be a good time to interject that the opinions <laughs> on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the Regents of the University of California. If you believe that, you're still a dumbass. Actually, I'm quite confident, Mr. McMillan, that nobody listening to this program has that viewpoint. Anyway, that uh, wonderful profile on Alex Hildebrand had some uh, nuggets in it. He's 96 years old. The profile notes that uh, as a 12-year-old, he used to deliver the Oakland Tribune uh, on a donkey. He herded 2,000 head of cattle in what would become Tilden Park. Trained at UC Berkeley as a physicist, chemist, and engineer, eventually working with Nobel laureate E.O. Lawrence on his atomic energy project. In the 1950s, Mr. Hildebrand was at the head of the Sierra Club, working alongside legendary activists like Ansel Adams and David Brower. Article notes that uh, Mr. Hildebrand may know more about California water politics than anyone, alive or dead. He's either been a member of or testified before just about every committee, board, planning agency, and legislative body involved with the state's epic water wars. What's he got to say about the peripheral canal? The article notes, It's a controversial plan aimed at fixing some of those problems that have preoccupied Hildebrand for the last several years. Proponents uh, of the canal, a giant pipeline that would shunt water from the Sacramento River around the delta to pumps near Tracy, maintain it would revive crashing fish species and ensure adequate supply. I would add that uh, the advocates use that revive crashing fish species for the dumbasses, said the article. Hildebrand insists the project would rob the delta of critical fresh water and transform it into a salty inland bay inhospitable to farming. Rather than funnel around the delta, Hildebrand favors bolstering a central channel through the delta, providing a migratory path for salmon and reducing salinity in the beleaguered San Joaquin River. Key problems of the current system. Hildebrand contends his alternative would also cost far less than the 3 to $17 billion estimated for a peripheral canal. Doggone it, Mr. McMillan, we may want to get Alex Hildebrand on this show, too. This article by Kelly Zito goes on to note that uh, three decades ago, Hildebrand voiced concern about importing agriculture from countries with little regulation. He feared that products with unknown toxics could make their way to U.S. dinner tables and undermine one of California's most important industries. It was a radical idea at the time, but Alex was talking about food security, something we now hear a lot about, said one who knows him. Article closed with, Trends in global food trade notwithstanding, Hildebrand has recently set his sights on California's gubernatorial race. The state last week moved to delay for two years an $11 billion bond that would have provided money for a peripheral canal. Hildebrand, a registered Republican, is dismayed by the prospect that billionaire Republican candidate Meg Whitman will prevail this fall. The former eBay chief executive has expressed support for a peripheral canal. Hildebrand now spends many of his days penning letters to Whitman and her staff spelling out the project's shortfalls. Not surprisingly, he includes plenty of technical analysis. And oh yeah, we got to get around to talking about the Whitman versus Brown race, but looks like we're out of time today. Do want to note in closing an article by John Ortiz in the Sacramento Bee a couple months ago. Started out talking about how Congress has, was ripping into Goldman Sachs uh, uh, the previous week. 
and added that Republican frontrunner, she hadn't won the primary yet, Meg Whitman, tried again to put her prior relationship with the bank behind her, telling the Associated Press she regrets taking part in a now-banned stock sale practice involving Goldman Sachs, and that she left its board after 15 months because, quote, it wasn't a good fit, unquote. Yes, so we noted last May that Goldman Sachs, which was charged with civil fraud, spent $1.2 million on lobbying during the first three months of 2010, which was a 72% increase over the same period the year before. The investment firm recently hired Trent Lott, former Senate Republican leader, and his lobbyist partner, former Democratic Senator John Brio, to lobby Capitol Hill. They'll probably be doing a lot of lobbying here in California if Meg Whitman wins in November. You know, we don't want to lose sight of this whole Goldman Sachs fiasco. Let's close with an article by Zachary Goldfarb in the Washington Post, which I think we just have to quote from. As the U.S. housing market began its epic fall nearly three years ago, top executives at Wall Street powerhouse Goldman Sachs cheered the large financial gains the firm stood to make on certain bets it had placed, according to newly released documents. They show that the firm's executives were celebrating earlier investments calculated to benefit if housing prices fell. And we talked about this a few months ago, but it's worth reminding ourselves of the facts in the case. That's about all the facts we have time for today because we're down to our last minute and a half. Let's go out contemplating what it takes to not be a greedy weasel. Very curious study conducted at UC Berkeley where subjects were given 10 credits worth actual money and a choice of keeping them or sharing them with an anonymous partner in another room. These subjects could give whatever percentage they wished. People who were ranked in the low end of the socioeconomic scale, which factored in education as well as income, gave away nearly 50% more of their credits than did those at the top. When they were asked what percentage of one's income should be donated to charity, the average response of the lower class individuals was 5.6%. The average of the wealthiest, 2.1%. Psychologist and study author Paul Piff told The Economist, counterintuitively, the needy or the relatively less wealthy are actually more generous. Piff theorized that people lower in society's pecking order know they are more dependent on other people to get by. For them, altruism and compassion are a form of currency that helps build a social network that instead of money is going to be the resource they can turn to in times of hardship and need. It's a pretty interesting study. And reminds me, as we close, of a Midas muffler commercial from the 1960s. Guy in a limo pulls up to the muffler shop. The technician gets gets into the limo and explains to the guy what he's going to do, how cheap it is, and all the great guarantees that come with the service. The wealthy guy looks at him and nods, and the guy can't help but ask, Gotta ask you, sir, why is a man as obviously as well off as you so concerned about the price of our mufflers? He replies, How do you think a man like me got to be a man like me? Well, maybe it's that and giving 1% of his income to charity. I don't know. But we are out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. And now I recommend you stay tuned for Hello Space Cadet. It's something for your ears to chew on. And by the way, I have some good things to say about our sister station KZSC in Santa Cruz. But I'm going to have to save them. 
We'll see you next week at the same time.